you can want to kill yourself when 250,000 people are chanting your name every night. If you don't connect to what you care about, the money, the cars, the girls, the houses, none of it fucking matters. Hi there. I'm Kelly Tennant. Welcome to Ceremony Wellness, where we integrate modern healing and ancient wisdom. Learn from the most impactful voices in health, wellness, and spiritual development as we guide you through the latest healing remedies and alternatives to the traditional path. I'm here to support you as you break limiting patterns, embrace your wild, and let go of the noise. It's time for us to rise together. Hey. Hola. ¿Cómo estás? Uh, bien. You're going to ask me how I am? Uh, you know no, how to do I don't that? give. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Can I say, uh, is there like a, a good, I'm cool? Like bien y cool? <laughs> uh, no? Oh, man. I love you. I love you too. All right, guys. Connor is here. So you know that this is going to be an epic podcast. Wow. Thanks. And um, it's not just the two of us. We invited our amazing friend, actually Connor's friend for a while, and my new friend, Dr. Adi Jaffe, onto the show. And this is a really special conversation for me. I've been looking forward to this for a while because I really respect the work that he does and as an addiction specialist and someone that comes from a very rough background, a lot of interesting decisions that he made that took him down a very interesting path to now support people in so many ways. And we don't really get too much into addiction into this, but we talk a lot about many other topics. Do you want to give people a brief yeah. glimpse, babe? I mean, coming from Adi's background, because he didn't, it wasn't like he had a rough upbringing and like he no, was a no. super privileged kid. Yeah. Uh, grew up overseas and then got into um, selling drugs in the in the drug world. And and through that, I think especially coming through, like I would say he looked at life through a pretty privileged lens. Like it's a really eye-opening thing to be around people's lives that are just spiraling down and your life itself is spiraling into, into the abyss. Mm-hmm. So he's got a really interesting view on, on life and addiction. And he takes this kind of um, not, his book is called The Abstinence Myth. And it's because he takes a non-traditional approach to, to recovery, which the, where the goal isn't abstinence, it's a healthy relationship with whatever the substance of choice is. And mm-hmm. that's, you can't really have a really healthy relationship with meth, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. If you're an alcoholic or whatever. It's like, so it's not this, it's not this uh, shameful approach to, to recovery. And that's something that's really against the grain, but he has an incredible success with people and has, and has worked with people in all walks of life, whether they're setting goals or trying to get clean. Yeah. And he does such a good job around that shame piece and talking through that and, and helping people understand that. Um, and he hosts an amazing podcast with his wife, Sophie, called Ignited. And they do a lot of work with couples, which we both, of course, really appreciate. And in this episode, we talk about anxiety, psychedelics, quote unquote, bad trips, as you call it. You two get into toxic masculinity. We even get into monogamish, which is a new phrase for me. So that was interesting. <laughs> um, sexual desires and threesome tips, which we know everyone loves to hear about. Yeah, apparently everybody's trying to dislike 
have threesomes. I guess so. Um, but I want you because the, the you reason... You want me? Well, obviously nice. I want you so right. bad. But the reason I wanted to have a D on the show so badly was because I heard him on your show months ago when you and I first started dating. So I highly recommend people go back and listen to your show with a D. Give people a little bit of an idea of what that episode was about because I think it's a great precursor to listening to this as well. Well, we talked on the on the first show I did with the D, we talked a lot about addiction specifically because I grew up with parents that were addicts and and even my dad is in prison, but he, you know, I don't know if he's getting stuff in there or whatever the deal is, but um but it's been a, it's been a, a an ever present part of my life and my family specifically. So that was something that Adi and I like really got into on the last episode and how how shame around addiction is so pervasive and how addiction can impact your life and, and the different outlets that addiction has. It was, it was a really fun episode. And we got a, that episode actually helped me with my relationship with my mom, which was really, really cool. Yeah. So, so beautiful. And I'm so grateful that he's taken the time to spend with us. So you guys can find him at Dr. Adi Jaffe, J-A-F-F-E on Instagram. Check out the Ignited podcast. And before we get into this one, you and I having a retreat coming up in yeah. March What's in up, Costa, Costa Rica. Costa Rica. So the Realness Retreat is now live. basically live it's and we already are, have people signed people up. People are signed up. Like people are relying on us now to make this thing happen. Yeah. And it's happening because you and I have been on the phone for hours and hours and hours the last <laughs> few days talking to people about this and so excited to share plant medicine with people, a chance to heal in a different way. I talk so much about alternative medicine on this show and healing from a very deep place and getting past these like layers that mm-hmm. keep us from the life that we want. And that's something you teach in your programs as well. And getting to the root cause of whether it's illness or sadness or fear or anger so that you can have everything you want and be healthy and be happy. And that's yeah. what this retreat provides. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, what did you think? Because the thing about it is, even on these phone calls we're having, right? There's no sales pitch. No. Like, if you feel like ayahuasca is something that you want to participate in, explore, well, we're providing a really safe and kick-ass environment for you to do that with amazing people. Mm-hmm. So whether the, what brings you down there is healing or curiosity or um, just feeling stuck in life, like whatever that is. And maybe you don't even have, there's, you're under no obligation to know why you want to go if you just totally. want to go. Because mm-hmm. there's something to be said for that as well. So this is this is something really special. And then the last one, you know, it's been kind of a two years in the making thing for the for the, the real street number one. Um, I'm so glad that you got to come down there and experience that. But it really went off like mm-hmm. without a hitch. And, th- and that's because Soltara does such an amazing job. It's so safe. It's so high vibe. It's really fun. And the people there are in the, in the, the, the facilitators and the staff are just so kind and, and funny. And, and they're just people that love, that love the plants and like really appreciate bringing, like creating that for people. And it's, I respect that about them so much. Yeah. And it's not just one kind of person that's going to be coming down with us. I've been on the phone with so many different types of people, people that are our age, people that are older, people that have done ayahuasca before in the past that have traveled to Peru and gone to do it. And now they're looking for something different or people that have never done it before, but are really called to plant medicine. So if you feel like, oh, maybe it's not for me because I've never done it or I'm not really sure, just get on the phone with us. I think yeah. that it's a great way to have a conversation and it 
again, is not a sales pitch. Like you said, that's what I, I feel so strongly about is this is truly sharing something that we really feel strongly about. And it's not for everyone, but for the right people, it's an amazing gateway to what can be possible for you. Yeah, it's 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 rad. And there's no better place to do it, in yeah. my opinion. So if anyone wants to join us, you can go to getTherealness.com. You can see the retreat link. Give us your email. We'll get on the phone. We'll schedule a call. Um, and we really look forward to seeing yeah. you in Costa Rica. And that's something to note really quick is that the barrier to entry to even signing up is getting on the phone with us. And then we do that for a reason, because one of the, the value adds of going down there for the realness retreat is that you're going to be down there with a bunch of people who you have something in common with. And there's something about that group that comes together for those experiences. Like everybody's in the Maloka or the, in the ceremony room for a reason. And we all are in it together, but you're having your own experience. And it's really cool to know that you know, it is a bunch of strangers, but you all have something in common. And there's there's some reason that you resonate with this podcast or my podcast. And and that brings the people together. And it's 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 something special for real. As of this recording, we only have 16 spots left. So if you want to do this, make sure you get on the phone with us as do soon it. as possible. All right, babe, let's get to a D. All right. Let's do it. So I tried to try salvia once, even though I said to myself, this sounds insane. Like there's no reason why anybody would want this. It's a kappa agonist. Like it's a probably one of the most centric receptors that causes anxiety and panic in your brain. That's the only thing it activates. Oh God. That's it. So you see people, they do it and they flip out. They lose their shit on it. But it was a thing because everybody was talking about Miley Cyrus doing it. So that's how it became oh. a thing. I tried to do it. We got some plant and it actually didn't do anything. Thank God. Because it's one of those things that I just like you mentioned about the show, I was doing it so that I could talk about what it's like. Because I was doing I was doing interviews on like CNN and HLN talking about salvia as a potential risk. I'm like, this would be the best no drug, anti-drug campaign. Just let everybody do this drug. Yeah. But why would anyone want to do it? Because people want to feel different. If oh, but like, I feel like that on a regular basis. So that maybe, panic. maybe that's no, I mean, this, why I don't want to do it. This guy, I, we used to watch this one dude would just, he would do random household activities on YouTube. And he would, he would say what he was going to do. He would lay it out. And he's like, but first, I'm going to smoke some salvia. And the one that I remember him doing was, wow. he, was he was in his backyard and he had a little like um, gardening shovel, you know, like the little like six inch gardening shovels. And he was going to plant, he had a little plant that he was going to dig a hole and plant. And he first, he rips the salvia from this bong and then tries to plant this plant. And it was, I've got to find it. We'll link it in the, in the, in the show notes because it was one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen. He was just laying on his side, like poking the ground <laughs> with this thing and like, it wasn't even on this planet. It was hysterical. And it's a plant? It's a plant, it's like yeah. a, Is it a plant medicine? Is it considered that? Yeah, yeah. No, people use it in shamanistic wow. uh, rituals. And so, but they use different dosing. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's, I think, something we can even get into today when we talk is it's not even just about the drug. It's about the drug, the way you ingest it, the dose, yeah. the, the context, right? The environment around it. It's well, a, I think there's something about, I mean, I've been in, through ayahuasca and different experiences, well, lots of different experiences actually where anxiety is the number one response I'm having, but that's also just a part of the experience. Mm-hmm. It's like, can you handle anxiety turned up to 11? And then when you have anxiety in your normal life at a four, it's like, okay, well, I can handle this. I've been through the ringer with this shit. I just stepped, in, I just stepped into the fucking ring with the Mike Tyson of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, so I'm cool. Like, it's did, you fine. Get, did you get a face tattoo though? No, no, not yet. I haven't not, gotten there yet, but I'm not, not taking it off the table. <laughs> <laughs> Under his eye. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is always really interesting when you talk about that anxiety is because the clients I work with all the time identify anxiety as one of the topics that they 
that they struggle with most. And you just mentioned, I live in that place. So I just want to go there for one second. Sometimes anxiety is really a general thing. Like mm. your body just feels panicky. Mm. But most of the time, anxiety is really these recurring thoughts, these cyclical recurring thoughts that you keep trying to push away, trying to get rid of, trying to compartmentalize so you don't have to pay attention to them. My whole thing always is, well, what are they? Let's talk about them. Let's spend three hours talking about all these thoughts that you're trying to push away because they're trying to tell you something. And when you're mentioning a hallucinogenic experience where that gets ramped up to 11, that's what people would call a bad trip sometime, right? Things along those lines. My experience in the past, I've only had a handful of them, but when I have those bad trips, I am fully immersed in everything I don't like about my life. Yeah. Yeah. Every element of the way I'm living that I'm not fully on board with is front and center staring me in the face going, you want to talk about this shit or what? <laughs> you know, and you try to run and you try to hide, but it's your head opening up this Pandora's box. And um, one of the worst trips I ever had ended up being one of the most meaningful experiences in my life in terms of making me stare myself in the eye and go, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So, you know, anxiety can be something that you try to run away from or it can be something you listen to to understand how to resolve elements of your life that you're unhappy with. You can choose. You, you, get, you get the choice. It's just, if you don't deal with it, it's going to stick around. Well, I think a lot of times the way you're saying that is, is that anxiety is essentially a denial or maybe underdeveloped intuition. Right? I think I've, I've, had, I've had anxiety in situations where I'm like, I, something was off and I just categorized, categorized it as anxiety or an yeah. anxious feeling. But it was, I didn't have, the, I just put it in that, under that umbrella because I didn't really have enough clarity on what that specific feeling was, which was avoid this person or don't get in this situation or this is not good for you. Or this job is going to suck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, these, or this person's full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like exactly. That whole thing. And that, it takes on the hindsight looking back at it and reflecting, going, oh, I probably should have listened to this part <laughs> of that anxiety. It wasn't just general anxiety. Yeah. It I was just wrote an email else. to our list exactly about that, trusting your gut. Well, and I was just going to say, it takes me to the mind-body connection. Your body is constantly talking to you and anxiety is a way that your body talks to you and is saying, your intuition and your gut, this is not right for you and this is a chance to listen. But we are so... uh, It's so ingrained in us to not listen to that Mm -hmm. and to detach the mind from the body. And so we are just so stuck in our heads and not present in what our body is telling us when we have all the answers. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, even... And I understand why we do it, you know... Kind of for me, language is a really important thing that we do to ourselves all the time. And even the mind-body connection suggests a separation between the mind and the body mm-hmm. and that they're somehow connected. But the mind is a manifestation <laughs> of the body and vice versa. So yeah. your mind, the consciousness that you have, exists in the biological framework, the machine that you operate, right? And I mean, hallucinogenic experiences are a great example of that because we talked a little bit before we started. But to me, the biggest experience, I've never done ayahuasca, I'll say it here now so we can kind of move forward (laughs) past that. I've been invited a whole bunch of times. It just has to, a lot in my life has to be set up right for that to work. But hallucinogenic experiences in general were eye-opening merely for the fact that they showed me that my mind can do things that I was never talked about, that... That nobody ever mentioned that um, that I was actually specifically told were impossible, like watching dry paint melt into the floor suggests <laughs> to you, if my eyes and my brain can process this dry paint as wet, what else am I processing as information that is not necessarily what I think it is? And that's a 
you know, for a regular run-of-the-mill kind of adult growing up, young adult, that's a really eye-opening notion. Yeah. My brain can make the world around me be completely different than what I think it is. Is a huge... It's like you, you step into a portal. It's like Alice in Wonderland kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And so different hallucinogens produce different results and the, the context matter and the dosing and all that stuff. But as soon as you step into that world, you can no longer accept everything you see and everything you hear and everything you think as objective fact. You know, Because I know for a fact that if I had some acid right now, then that paint would be dripping probably. <laughs> and I know it's not. So which, like, which world is my brain living in right now? Well, and isn't it too, and this is as I'm kind of working through my own like development, is this idea that I have all these truths that I believe to be true, these stories, and now it's letting go of what I thought was true and finding my own truth and reestablishing what that looks like. And that's a really scary place to be of seeing like what I always thought and what I saw with my own eyes might not be the reality of what it is or that's what I created, but it doesn't have to be that way. And well, it's you, hard to come to terms with that. You said the magic word. So first of all, I can guarantee for everybody listening right now that a lot of the things you think are true are just not. <laughs> let's just let's just start with that. It's a fact. Like, people, there's people listening to this right now right that now. believe something to be true that is objectively untrue. Yeah, at least everybody in any way that we understand it from our perspective. Now, the next thing you said and you changed it in the end, so I just want to point it out is finding my truth. And something that I I used to want to find my truth, and then I met my wife 15 years ago, and what I realized is. I think in reality, it's somewhere between find and create my truth mm. because I kind of get to choose. And that's a really scary thing for a lot of us because I used to be mired in depression and listen to shitty fucking heavy music that just depressed the hell out of me and made me want to punch <laughs> people in the face or slit my own wrist. And I'm not like full on like Nine Inch Nails, heavy metal, like that was the shit, industrial heavy stuff that I would listen to. And it connected emotionally and it connected on a deep level and it it gave me a route to accessing emotions that were true and you know were probably amplified by that music, but were also true. The notion that I can pick what truths I want to allow into my world and then that I can create truths that I've never heard before, mm -hmm. this whole concept of manifestation and creating the reality that you live in, that's where the real power is, right? Is to be able to say to yourself, what do I want my life to look like? Where in the world does that happen? What about my beliefs holds me back from doing that? How do I change those beliefs to match it? And then you get to live in that reality. And that, for a lot of people that are listening right now, can sound woo-woo or it can sound new agey and just bullshit, bottom line. A lot of them believe that it's just not true. But if you look, and this is something that I've gotten more tuned into over the last probably three, four years only as I've slowly, gradually kind of moved into this place in my own head. You know, you look at the people that we aspire to be, that we admire, that we put up on pedestals, that we write books about. Not many of them were abiding by any truth that anybody else that was quote unquote normal at their time yeah. understood or believed. None of them. That's so Especially great. Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, but all of them, Hunter S. Thompson, I mean, look, the people who started this country. Yeah. Right? The, the, they literally created a different reality. They created a government form that nobody had tried before. And at the time, it, 
they were people wanted to kill them for it. Yeah. Right. Um, it 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 was seen as heretic what they were doing. There's so many I was reading about Henry Ford the other day, and you know this idea of taking assembly line construction from other fields and putting it into cars and and. Everybody, like if you if you literally just pick Stephen King, I don't care. Just pick somebody that we look up to. What makes them a person we look up to is they broke the rules, and then there were a lot of other people who followed in their steps, and they became as established rules. But every time, the only evolution is somebody coming in and saying, "I don't buy that. These are my rules," and cr- they literally kind of manifest. They create another way of being. You look at the. I mean, this is a little lame of an uh, of a example by now but you know when the printing press came out everybody was talking about how the value of literature would plummet and the people would not be able to remember things as well yeah that's that the major criticisms of of the printing press wow. and like and why are we giving the right to anyone to be able to publish what they what they think that was kind of because at the top up until and then they could see us now yeah <laughs> i know now we just get to get on a microphone what would, and say yeah. whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> what would those people think about twitter oh my god i'm sorry Jesus, this is what we warned you motherfuckers about i know right <laughs> Um, but you know, again, right? You say that, but then like the revolution in Egypt wouldn't have happened without Twitter. So it's like we live in this on this ridiculous planet that is like an anomaly as far as we know in the universe, and we keep looking for more shit. We just haven't found it yet. But <laughs> I'm assuming somewhere out there, there's something else like this. But we keep rediscovering reality on our own here, and I think that's that's magical by itself. And so for you, uh, when you were saying initially. I live in that space of anxiety. Like, why would I want to do that with a drug? I think a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. A lot of us live in this space where we're always uneasy. And the question for me is always, why? What about the way that I see the world is making me uncomfortable right now? Because there's nothing objective, definitely in my life. Nothing objective that should make me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So f- for me, it, it's about perfection and control. And that's kind of where I wanted to go next with you anyway is, the people you work with, the people that you see, a lot of the women that I'm around, especially our community of my show, is control is a big mm. precursor to the anxiety. And how that plays in too, to creating your reality and letting go of what you thought was true and surrendering to that, which truly is letting go of the control. Yeah. I had a call with a woman today. I won't say her name, but um, she's in my program. And the reason we got on the call, she was like, I'm not sure if this is for me. And she's been on it for a couple of weeks. And right off the bat, she was like, look, I know where I am and I know where I'm trying to go. I just don't know how to get there. And I don't understand where in this program this leads me to. So I go, well, tell me where you are right now. We just started there. And she is a really stressed out lawyer who's done really well for herself over the last 20, 25 years of her life. Um, but had some real family-based complications. I won't talk about more just so that it's, uh, it's still anonymous and nobody can figure out who I'm talking about. It's been hard. And she's worked hard and perfectionism is a huge part of it. And I said, look, you're looking for how to get from point A to point B. But right now, you forgot that there's even a life out there without work and effort and buying the next thing and succeeding and showing off. You forgot what just enjoyment is. You just forgot what joy feels like. And she goes, yeah, it was like this mm. revelation that yeah. there's actually a whole other part of life that she just hasn't paid attention to. And when you say perfectionism, what I hear is the ongoing pursuit of the unattainable. Yep. And I think there's a place for it. I 
That's ambition. Yeah, yeah. I always think I want to get better. I want to keep yeah. getting better. But when you let the pursuit of the because per, utter perfection is unattainable, you will never get there, right? <laughs> right. So the pursuit of that is great. It's like the you know the, you know shoot for the moon, you land on the stars kind of idea. It's great. But if that's the central theme of your life, then you get what I assume I'm seeing a lot of on social media. By the way, these guys are fucking killing it. They're killing it. And I, I'm wondering to myself, like, what's going on with your family right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how are your kids feeling about what's happening in this? Because when that is your focus, you can be really successful and really miserable all at once. And that's a really terrible place. I've worked with people who are uber successful, but hate their life to the point where they're thinking of taking it kind of a thing. And, you know, that's, again, creating your own reality. So when perfectionism comes up, what are the beliefs? What are the underlying beliefs that are telling you you have to do better or you have to or you, uh, you have to succeed and get this thing or you must or you can't? Those words are in, that's internal language that a lot of us use with ourselves all the time and with other people. And we kind of, it's like us locking ourselves in this cage. It's just a self-created, self-maintained cage. Mm-hmm. Huh. I like that a lot. <laughs> It makes sense for me. I feel like I'm constantly caging myself. So I But you guys, that. I see, like I've been following you guys yeah. um, little journey. And I mean, you're definitely pushing envelopes. You're definitely, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I don't feel like I am. Anymore, anyway, that I wasn't already pushing as it goes. But it's fun watching Kelly. I disagree. Kelly like pushing. It's fun watching you do things. Here's the thing that's interesting in, in the context of relationship is that you've done things that you wanted to do for a long fucking time that you didn't have like enough of a nudge to do. Mm-hmm. And I think in the context of psychedelics or anything else in your life, sometimes I think when you're so thirsty to express a thing and share a thing, you need a little bit of a nudge. And sometimes a nudge is a bunch of the shit that you don't <laughs> want, that you keep like bringing in just enough to like keep you subservient to yourself. And then you need that, like a, a big dose of anxiety on a psychedelic trip mm. or your life kind of falls apart. Like you need a big slap in the face to go, okay, are you going to do the other thing that you really want to do or at least acknowledge that it exists? Or are you going to just keep being moderately uncomfortable under your own devices? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an interesting thing because when you talk about control, there's very little control in fully investing into saying the things that you actually want to say because there are real consequences for that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those consequences are in the same flavor as the things that you really want, like validation, mm-hmm. acceptance, connection. The, and that, the, that may, the removal of those. Exactly. Like if I say what I really think, those people won't be with me anymore. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you said that you're not pushing the envelope. I'm going to turn this, the table on you a little bit. And I don't know what the answer is to this. This is me being transparent and we'll see where the fuck it goes. Um, <laughs> but have you ever done that with a serious partner before? Any of these things? Any of what things? These, these, exp- these self-explorations. Oh, yeah. Um, not at the level that we do it. Right. Because well, so, there, there's, there's a drive in Kelly for like serious self-work. Like yeah. we'll call our stuff out on her bullshit. Probably yeah. even to a fault sometimes, I would say. But so it's, it's through, a, it's a different, we've done, I've done serious like self-exploration and I would say psyched, through psychedelics with a partner sure. before, but not like, not with the same level of intention that we have doing it together. So two, two I'm seeing two things. Same level of intention and, and kind of veracity of doing the thing. But then also, and I, this, I've, I only met you like months ago, so I don't, I, I don't know your entire life story. But also, I'm sensing there's something different about the connection. So there's more buy-in. Like it matters more to you what kind of experience Kelly has after one of these than it did in the past. Yeah. Right. And 
for I'm sorry, but for men, that is the boundary. Like I'm now invested. Mm-hmm. So if you lose your shit in one of these, I don't get to walk away. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm there with you to pick the pieces back up. I'm there to connect the puzzle again. I'm there to help you figure out. That's the thing, by the way, the reason I haven't done it, one of the big ones is I really like my life. Yeah. And what I've realized in a lot of my hallucinogenic experiences in the past is what it pointed out to me is what I don't want about my current reality. I'm not really ready to play fucking whack-a-mole and let's just see what's next. <laughs> I'm good. And so, and that doesn't mean I'm perfect. There are 100% areas in my life that I would like to improve. When you're on heavy dose hallucinogens, you have a little less choice in which ones of those you're going to focus on. <laughs> you know? And so, you two doing it together is like, to me, it's another sign of all right, well, let's just see where this fucking road takes us because I'm in. I'm in for the journey. Yeah, exactly. Can I, can I share? Since we always, we always tell things on the show and I'm like, for I can't it. believe we fucking just like say these things. Can, can I share about our TV experience a Yeah, go bit? for it. So we did mushrooms last weekend together in a TP in Topanga Canyon, which was so rad. Awesome. But we did, we did quite a bit and we were yeah. in each other's experience. And... I haven't done it that much. So it was still sort of new for me. But the reason I wanted to say it was, I think you're spot on with what you're saying. And I I was watching Connor during the experience have that exact kind of back and forth with himself where he would be... He was laying with me and very present and connected to me physically. And then all of a sudden, he he would like get up and sit up and look at me. And I watched him do this back and forth over and over again. And it was this sense of like, is it safe for me to fully be with you invested in this and so vulnerable? And then he would get up and look at me and like test to see what I would do. And I, I didn't move. I was like totally unwavering and, and present holding for him. And then he would come back to me and like bury his head in me and was like fully there and then test it again. And it was back and forth. And I just thought this is so beautiful because it's exactly what mm. happens in our lives sometimes. I feel that like, can I fully be myself with you? Will you be unwavering in your love for me and not judge me? Oh, I'm okay again. You yeah. know? And I think there's so much to that investment in my experience, but also in his own and being willing to go there. Yeah. It's, I mean, it reminds me of, so, I swear I'm going to take it back to that story you just mentioned, but it reminds <laughs> me, it reminds me of this moment. So when I was an undergrad at UCLA, uh, Fish came to play at Poly Pavilion. Um, and we went to see it with a bunch of friends and like the fish village followed fish like they always do. So the whole entire parking lot became like this drug den uh, and people selling little food and, sho- and shoes and freaking shirts or whatever. We got some mushrooms and my friend and I went and we were pretty close, like 20 feet from the stage uh, down on the bottom. And we're dancing. We're having a good time. I love fish. Uh, I haven't gone to, gotten to go to a show in a long time, but I love them. And in the middle, he turns to me and he's like hugging me and he goes, you know what, man, this is the thing. We don't need drugs to feel like this. And I go, yeah, I know, but we're on drugs right now with you <laughs> telling me that. So if you can bring this back tomorrow or two oh days from now, I'll buy in more. Yeah. Um, and this is the beauty of hallucinogens and, and pathogens in general, right? Like that's what I love about MDMA, for instance, is they do, they massage your brain to open up portals that, are just more difficult to open. Mm-hmm. And for men, not all men, and I'm getting more connected to more groups that do this kind of men's work because I do it with the guys that I work with uh, in coupleship and also the guys that I work with that struggle with mental health and addiction issues. Connection. 
on a deep, intimate level is not something that's really been celebrated. It's definitely not something that's been coached and taught. Um, and so we learn to connect through the achievement and the doing. Yeah. That's how we connect. I mean, I know for you, you know, CrossFit in that world and like the, the lifting world and all that was a big thing for a while. Just look at what it is. You connect with guys by pushing each other's limits physically in, in, a, in an achievement-based manner, a manner that's kind of easy to measure and see. Any deviation from that takes you out of the men's world. Like it actively removes you from it. If you start expressing the feelings you're having, doubt, insecurity, anxiety, you leave the fraternity. Fraternity. <laughs> what the fuck was that word? How did I, you, 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 the fraternity. I was rolling with it. I was like, is that a word? Hang on like, a second. I was like, wait. You feel a lot smarter than I do. So I was just going <laughs> to let that be a word. No, you leave the fraternity of men. You leave, you, you get forced out of it almost. Yeah. And so what I'm writing about a lot right now around this, I'm using the title of toxic masculinity because that's the word everybody kind of gets to in general, but it's just masculinity. There's nothing toxic about it. Toxic is the top echelon of what we just call masculinity. You know, we've made it the goal to be achievement-driven, success-driven, strong, right? Like, that's what men are taught men are supposed to be. And so, and I'll point at myself, like, I'm not that guy. I never was the guy who just wants to beat everybody down to kick their ass. Never been me. But when I was younger, that made me feel like shit because it made me feel like less of a man. It took a long time to grow into the kind of person who's just comfortable with that's my place. We talked last time, Connor, when, uh, when you came in about some of the shame and, and issues that that brings up for men. And I think a lot of men drink and use drugs and assault women and all that kind of stuff because they don't feel like the men they're supposed to be. So to exert themselves and get control is a way to show themselves, you know what? No, I'm more of a man than I seem to be in the hierarchy of men or to numb out with drugs and alcohol to forget that they don't fit in. Mm. And so that experience that you're talking about in the TP to me is the testing of the safety of can I actually just be myself without needing to prove anything. And the funny thing about, and I love the way you said that, especially not knowing the experience, is that that entire experience for me was, it was one of the, and I wanted this, it was one of the darkest experiences I've had. Mm. And through some of this other stuff we've been doing, I'm trying to understand because I have been in front of people a lot. That's a big part of my life. It has been for a long time. And I get kind of the projection that I'm like really light and sweet and funny and whatever this, whatever the fuck it is. But it's like there's a part of me that feels unexpressed, right? And that's, I said something, I was talking with one of, one of the people that we work with about there was something missing, but it wasn't from the outside in. It was from the inside out. Like it was yeah. something that wasn't coming out. So it's been for me, reconciling darkness a lot. And I don't mean darkness in a negative way. It's like, but when I say that, I mean... Like shadow. Power. Yeah. And even shadow... To me, shadow is, is things that you... I think of it like from the, um, from the Jung perspective, right? Where it's like things that you don't know about yourself that are like kind of hidden away. And you can lock a lot of shit away there too. But yeah. I think it was more of like bridging this like light and dark parts of yourself with the yin and the yang type of, type of vibe where it's like I've been neglecting my ability to feel anger and experience anger and express anger or shoved away the, the try to like tell myself that I didn't want or need power mm. to feel good. 
You know, I, I think mean, it's a, power is a weird thing because you see like this toxic masculinity thing is really a lot of times an abuse of power, right. which to me is kind of indicative of a, a, a misunderstanding or a, or a shaming of the need for power. And it was this really weird experience I was in the middle of where it was very dark and I've had experiences like that before, but it was so necessary because that's the only time that I can investigate true like power need, like a thirst for power and like mm. where that lives inside of us and that does live inside of us and it is a fucking component of our of our, our human nature. Sure. So I mean, my we... guess is just because of the like hundreds and at this point thousands of people that I've had really deep conversations with, my guess is that like everything else, each one of these components lives to a different degree in different people. Yeah. And so my guess is that for some people, there really is a lot less of a desire for control and power. There just is. There's just don't, not a thing that plays in their head. Now, biology is probably part of it. Early life developmental environment is part of it. Probably literally prenatal environment is oh, part yeah. of it, right? The chemicals and the anxiety and the stress that was going on in the mother while she was um, pregnant. There are all these different components, but in the end, what we get is you and we get you and we get me and we get <laughs> Sophie upstairs and it's like, What's so difficult about a lot of these conversations is to create these overarching principles that will apply to everybody. Whereas what I think is needed is a safe playground for a lot of us to figure out what our body naturally responds to. And on top of that, the flexibility to understand that those are allowed to change. Because I think we were fed um, a concept, a lot of us early on in life, and that is that we have a personality. Like, you're like this, and you're like that, and I am this way. and we, we hold on to these traits and there's dispositions and things of that nature that exist. But I got to say, I've seen a lot of people change quite a bit about who they are over their lifetime. Yeah. And you know, you and I have talked about this before, Connor. To me, the whatever word, whatever wording or phrasing you use for this, you know, can't, you can't teach an old dog new tricks or, um, you know, the whole expectancy bias, the stereotype threat, the idea that I know what those people are like, that whole notion. It's been shown to be untrue so many times that I don't understand at what point we're just going to say, you know what? I know nothing about you unless we sit down and have some really serious conversations where you get to tell me who you are. Mm-hmm. And then I got to reflect that back to you. And, and that probably takes time yeah. over long periods of time for us to really get to know it so that you're not putting a mask on anymore and we're not trying to pretend to be something that we're not to each other because we just met. Like all that is just, it's the dance. It's the social dance we've been taught how to do for a long time. And what I love about what you just said about this exploration of power is how do we create a world where you can talk about that and not everybody get really, really scared that, oh my God, he just meant he's a man and he's a big man. He's a strong man. Like he's talking about the pursuit of power. Who's he going to hurt? Because that's where we go to right away. And it gets so uncomfortable, so fear-based that we shut it down. We say, well, you're not allowed to have those conversations. Yeah. And I think not to take us to a completely different place, but I think that's how we ended up with the last election is we've gotten so far out of step with what each other think and really believe and how we see the world that we just decided to live in two different realities. <laughs> that's so fucking true. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it forever too, before, before it landed that it really happened. If fucking Trump could become a president. Like what happened before was we talked about, well, there's the coasts yeah. and there's the middle of the country. We talked about it all the time, the reds and the blue, like, it was a conversation we were having openly, not realizing for a moment that what we're pretending is that there's half of this country that lives in one reality 
in another half that lives in another reality and that, that somehow that's going to be okay. And those realities are getting more and more different as yeah. time goes on. It's insane. Like, and I, come, I come from, I grew up in one of those other realities. Sure. Like a 9,000 person town in the middle of nowhere, fucking Texas. Yeah. And it's like, that's Trump country. And it totally, when you, if you immerse yourself in it, you know, if you grew up in, on the coast, if you grew up in New York or even you know, any of these major cities and you see Houston, Austin, Dallas, even going more democratic now yep. because of this, the, the, I think a lot of the younger people growing up in their 20s and millennials and shit like that. It's, if you, if you've, Live there your whole life. You don't have context on the same on the understanding and the belief that the same rules that you need for a functioning society in LA are completely different than the rules needed for a functioning society in Graham, Texas. Like it's just not the same. Minimum wage doesn't need to be the same. Like there's not as much of an issue with racism because at the end of the day, there's like no black people in that town. Right. It's like we're not having there's no homelessness. Yeah. There's no homeless. There's no they, 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 we, and you're they're operating off the same rules as we are in LA, which makes absolutely no fucking sense. And then you look down at them as if they're stupid. Yeah. When you have do you have just as little of an idea of what their life is like as they do of what your life is like. So that's what always bothered me about the discussion right after the election. Like how can half this country be so stupid? I'm like, wait, do you really believe that there's like a hundred million people are just idiots out there? Yeah. Because that's a lot to take on. Like if, <laughs> yeah. if, if a third of this country are just morons, then we have a much bigger problem than Trump being elected. A third of this country are morons. That's a problem. Yeah. That's not what's happening. We're living in different realities. And so to take us back to kind of like these self-exploration moments, the power of... And if it's a chemical that you take on, it's a chemical. If it's an experience you have, it's an experience. But the power of these life-altering, reality-shifting experiences is that they tell you, oh my God, there are different ways to look at this thing that I thought there was only one way to look at. And if that's true of one fact, moving to the next fact and the next and the third and the fourth and the fifth and sixth and, and starting to reconsider again what is normal and what is not and what is okay and what is not and what is acceptable and what you can take and what other people can take, whatever. Any, any aspect of reality becomes a softer conversation. And I think right now what we need, and you guys, I mean, you're doing it just by having this conversation about coupleship is, you know, take that achievement world, right? Take that sports, hard, success-driven, how much weight can you lift? How much time does it take? How many reps can you get? Whatever, like a very, it's a very easy thing to measure. Yeah, It's hard to do, but it's really easy to measure. Like if you can lift 450 pounds and she can lift 300 pounds, you're stronger. Yeah. It's a very, it's a nice metric, right? Um, <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. It is. It's really straightforward, which is really nice. And it, it feels easy. The, the notion is that that single metric tells you so much more about the person's life. And that's where we get into trouble. Um, you talked about it with, you know, with the injury. When, once the injury happened, you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. If I can't measure what I'm worth by the lifting or the reps or the time, what is there? And that's what I'm hearing from your story in the past is that's kind of where the exploration started is you're, you are an explorer. You always were the kind of person who just went to look for what you needed. It's just you found it in a space and it worked really, really well for a while and then it stopped working. You're like, yeah. fuck, I'm not going to just sit here and mope. I need to go find something else. Exactly. It was like, I just, there was a, and just to fill everybody in, like there was that big... You know, I was a competitive athlete and then boom, injury. And then that big, huge void in your life of where that, where that used to be. And then that turned into 
I'm just really grateful that I was able to take some time and just really dive into some shit. And that was ex- that was the same month I did ayahuasca for the first time. And oh, I just wow. happened to be at this like it just somebody backed out last minute and I got to jump in. Mm. It was very odd how it all shook out, but it was really helpful. But yeah, that feeling that and that, the thing about it is though with this, and I think Trump plays a big part in this, whether you agree with his policies or not, is the conversation around healthy masculinity. And I think that these, I would say like toxic. I don't want to say toxic masculinity. That's that that phrase fucks with me in some ways. I think there's toxic expressions of masculinity. Sure. Um, I think that a lot of that, though, what we're just doing is piling more shame and judgment on top of the original problem. And I think a lot of that, that expression came from shame and judgment around some type of pursuit or some oh type of way of being, especially when it comes to relationships with women. I just had a... Okay, I'm going to need to take... You just As you were talking, I just had a realization. You know, we we're talking about chemicals and like taking drugs. <laughs> Sorry. I got I post-it notes and I got to take notes. So... Because I'm literally, I'm writing a set of articles about toxic masculinity. Mm. And um, the point that I'm making is that toxic masculinity is just the apex of masculinity. But if you think about it, everything is toxic. Everything in the world is toxic. Water is toxic. Sand is toxic. Alcohol is toxic. Anything that you can ingest can become toxic. The thing that matters is how much of it there is. Yeah. Right? So even water. If you will just keep dumping water into a human being, their cells will not be, you know, the salinity of the cells will not be able to manage anymore and they can die from too much water. That's an extreme, but you take that with other chemicals like alcohol and the drugs that we do know and you die much faster. I think it's the same thing we're talking about with masculinity. Mm. The masculinity that we have right now, the type of masculinity that we aspire to in traditional channels that we get exposed to, functions when you have a little bit of it, a little competitiveness, a little desire for power, a little need to exert control, right? And a little need to conquer. Yeah. Like, right? A lot of the masculinity thing is about the conquering. I mean, even with women, it's like, that's part of the deal is, right? The chase and the conquer. So in small doses, not that big a deal. But as the dose increases, you get to this place where if you're really good at what we currently aspire to as masculinity, you become toxic to everybody around you. Because, you know, we can talk all the shit we want about these rich people doing this insane shit, but we kind of promised it to them. Yeah. We kind of guaranteed to them that if they become billionaires, they get to do whatever the fuck they want. I mean, just think about it. Like, look at the movies we watch. Look at the stories we... If you're the guy with Gatsby, like, if you're the guy with the fucking house and the parties and everybody knows you and you know senators and you own uh, the government, it's your fucking world. It's your playground. Do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. We told it to them and then they got it. I yeah. can't get it. I'm not, I'm not that single-minded. I'm not willing to stomp on everybody's head who comes by for the next success. They were. They didn't give a fuck. They stomped over whole races. They destroyed towns. They don't care. Yeah. Because they wanted the thing. And then they got it. And once they got it, it became too much. Yeah. And when it became too much, we were like, wait, now you're too much of a... And they look back and they go, wait, but this was the game. You told me this was the game. I won the game and now you're pissed at me. And I think we need to kind of make peace with it a little bit because, you know, everybody was really mad about Trump with that pussy grabbing fucking tape. (laughs) And everybody was giving everybody a lot of shit. But I don't know. I know a lot of guys... I know a lot of guys with at their peak, when they think to themselves like what they want, 
that porn culture world where you just get to walk into a room and be like, you, you, and you, we're going back and we're having a foursome is like this internal fantasy they've been living with since they were 10 or 11 or 12. And that's us. We have to contend with that. Yeah. You know, that's not, I mean, Trump grew up to be the, exactly the guy that his dad trained him to be, exactly the guy that society made him into as this spoiled rich kid who could pay for tutors to do his work so he could graduate from an Ivy League school even though the motherfucker can't read a book. Yeah. Like, we made that because we told them that the money was more important than anything else. Well, I think when you get into this conversation about the society being a patriarchy, right? Which is, again, a fucking blanket statement. But it's not... It's the fact that we've been doing this thing for a couple hundred years now, this whole America experiment. And you look at things and it's like, it's not the people who made the money. That are the problem. It's the people who made the money's kids, their kids, and their kids who have been able. A lot, most of us in life, right? If you grew up in, say, you just grew up like most people, middle class, whatever. There were some kind of consequences for being a fucking asshole. That's one thing I miss. That's one thing I miss about my hometown is like, if you're a fucking asshole, the consequences are somebody's going to kick your ass. Yeah, like that's it. And that's like that's what happened, and that's happened to me. And it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me. It's like I stepped out of line, and somebody punched me in the face. Yeah, and it's like, wow, I probably should. I should probably watch. (laughs) Not do that, you know. And there was something about that that I think is really interesting. But then you get people who have never not had power, right? So it's like, well, what can I get away with? Because you know, as a kid, you're always testing. What can I get away with? Sure. That's why wrestling is really important and being Mm. physical for little boys a lot of times. Because it's like, okay, where am I playful and where am I hurting someone? That's a really important lesson to learn early in life. And the same thing, when is this okay? Early relationships when there's like cheating or whatever it is, or you hurt somebody's feelings, like that's you just creating context for what is appropriate in life. And if you are raised in a society or in an environment with your rich or poor or whatever, where consequences aren't a part of the equation, you have you are bound and determined to be fucked up. And no one, and that's the thing is, and that's why I love Jordan Peterson so much, because he talks about your responsibility as a parent is to make your kids socially desirable human beings by the time they're four years old. And that means sharing, playing, listening, yeah. like not being annoying little brats. <laughs> right, which like, is harder. It's harder than you imagine. I can sometimes. only yeah, imagine. Yeah, he has 12 children, so <laughs> anyone should be talking about this. No, it's hard. It's hard because like we have uh, our boy, Leo. He's a handful. Yeah. And his brother is less of a handful. <laughs> and it's like, you, um, you do. You have to match the techniques to the person. Hmm which as adults is easy to understand. Like I know that I need to have a different conversation with you than I do with you. It's just, it's simple. We can talk for 15 minutes and I can sense little nuanced way about how to talk to one another, right? Kids don't have that. Yeah. And they don't, they don't understand the motivation behind what I'm doing with them, you know? And so, so that gets even harder. And to tie it back into the bigger conversation, that's okay. It's harder, but that's why we're here, right? Like, in the end, I always say to my people, like, we want joy, we want connection, we want impact. And the impact is something that gets driven into us a lot, right? That's a success. And, but I, the way when I think of impact, it is, it's on other people. It's like, I don't, look, I'm not, I wouldn't mind Grant Cardone's like plane. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't be upset. <laughs> I'm not against it. I'm not, I, I wouldn't be upset if somebody gave me my own plane. <laughs> But I know myself and the only way that I would be okay getting there is if a shit ton of people got helped along the way. It's just like this thing that it's the only motivation that I'm going to have to do enough to get to those things. And so years ago, literally like 10 years ago or something, I had to recognize that I don't care enough about money to follow what everybody told me I always needed to follow. 
like yeah. the bigger paycheck or the better job or the promotion. I just don't care that much about it. And that felt really shitty. It's fr- I had the same realization. It's like, I really don't care about money that much. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really get me going. I like stuff. I like stuff. I just do things. We live in a beautiful house right now. Like you, you guys are here visiting. We just moved three weeks ago. I mean, the fact that Ignited exists helped us get the house because I have a company that brings in money. I make no fucking income. I make like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year from Ignited. Yeah, it's all my wife's money, which was by we want to talk about masculinity and, and yeah, gender dude. roles. I'm living that life too. That's uh, <laughs> it's a thing. It's a, it's a, it's an actual thing, and I consider myself relatively enlightened, and it's still a thing. But I recognize in myself like it's not. Not what I chase. It's just not. I don't care enough about whatever dollar amount you put on that check that I get once a month for me to go do something that I'm not connected to. And that's not putting down the people who do. I'm just, that's, I'm getting back to this place. So we all have our internal motivators. And instead of doing what so many of us do regularly, or especially earlier on in life, which is trying to match what people want from us into the way we behave, and we just think that's our job. Like, what does everybody want? Let me give them more of that and then I will be better. I found that I need to understand my own internal compass way better. And then I get to live a life that I enjoy more. And enjoy, I don't mean only in terms of like going out and having fun. Not, like a life that feels like it's providing, like I said, impact, connection. And Yeah. Like, I mean, that's one thing that I have a lot of people do to the Lifestyle Design Program and... I think is so impactful is to understand what it means. And I think this is essential for most people on the planet. Understand what it means to stand up for yourself. Mm. Like, what does it mean for you to stand up for yourself? And for a lot of people based on their early childhood development, their situation, a lot of people that is attaining enough money to be stable in life. That thing is an essential part of being able to stand up for yourself is having the amount of leverage to say no to things, yeah. to be able to not do things you really fucking hate doing. I think that's really important. So important. But... Mm. A lot of that is understanding what you stand for, right? Because right. a lot of people be like, "Well, fuck money. I don't want to fucking chase money." It's like, "Well, hey, what do you uh, what do you stand for? Yeah. Like, what do you what do you actually? Can we just let's, let's not say that? Let's just say like, well, I value X and Y and Z more than money, and that shapes my behavior because it's what I've decided and noticed about myself that is of high value. It's something yeah. that I can be I can I can be resilient when it comes to defending these values because I've earned the understanding yeah. of what they are." And I think I'm curious, Kelly, like you coming from a world where you did really well financially and had a lot of validation, were like a TV host and did the whole thing and have, have changed paths essentially into a place where in this, I guess you call it personal development in some form or fashion in this world, like what, the, what has the change been in the way that you perceive yourself in that whole shift? Wow. That's like a very layered question. Can you, <laughs> can you break that down? Like perceive myself in regards to money or validation or attention? Like, where are you going with that? I would say in what you value about how you show up in the world. Oh, well, I mean, I didn't value myself at all when I was in television. That's part of why I left. Um, I always saw myself as like the hot chick that was there to entertain people and make and get guys to be comfortable enough to speak on camera. Mm. And I was really good at that because people felt very comfortable with me and I would get them to talk about things that they weren't comfortable enough to talk with other people about, which is why I created a podcast because I knew it was a gift I had. But at the end of the day, the only validation I received was about the way I looked. And I realized that I was living for that, living for validation and likes and 
was constantly what I thought about. And so when I stepped out of that career, I started to reevaluate who I was and what I wanted to offer the world and how I wanted to step into the world. And I realized I'm very smart. I'm very thoughtful. I'm kind. I'm good to people. I'm really good at interviewing people. I'm a really good listener. And so I wanted to show up in a way that reflected that. And because of my own healing journey, I wanted to help other people heal. That was really important to me. So I think it shifted everything. And even when it comes to money, I was making a lot of money in television. And for me now to have money, everything I do, everything I spend is like creating events for people where I'm losing an absurd amount of money, (laughs) but I'm creating an experience for people that I feel extremely passionate about. And that's all I care about. And doing free coaching or putting on programs or doing a podcast that I don't really make money at yet. To me, it's serving people and it's coming from such a place of integrity and I feel whole with myself and I want to teach other people how to get there. So to answer your question, I think it shifted everything in every way. I I feel like a completely different person than I was a year and a half ago. What A year and a half ago is when Mm -hmm. you left? Yep. What was the thing? What was the impetus? What, What pushed you over the edge? So I had chronic illness for 13 years and my body would shut down every couple of years. And I I kind of felt shitty the whole time, but it would go up and down. And then um, my body completely shut down and I couldn't even function for about five months. And I was on leave from work and I went through um, some sexual assault stuff and um, just toxic environment with men that I was in. And I also just, I did not like myself. I was not living authentically for who Mm. I was. I was living for other people. And so I think my body, we talk about the mind body, like my body shut down because it was like, we can't do this anymore. Like, nope. Yeah, this <laughs> is it for you. So you have to really start from scratch. Mm. So that's that's when I said no more. What I want, I was listening to you uh, speaking and I, I love hearing it from somebody in the moment because these things that you talked about that you were doing are for so many people out there, the dream. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the fucking dream. I want to be there. I want to meet famous blah, 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 and blah, 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 and be on TV and have hundreds of thousands or millions of people watching me and giving me likes. By the way, a lot of people literally that I talked about, they just want to be called the hot chick. Mm-hmm. Like literally, <laughs> literally, I'm, I, it sounds it sounds like they're devaluing themselves. But to them, that would be the ultimate sign that they're good and they're okay. And what I love is that I've actually never met anybody who's been happy with any of those <laughs> external <laughs> uh, indicators. And mm-hmm. and the issue is not that being hot or like being good looking is, is the problem. The issue, I think, is that being judged by any singular aspect of who you are becomes problematic. Yeah. Because then all the focus on that. By the way, the same thing happens to nerds. Yep. And I'm putting that like in air quotes. But like, if the only reason people admire you is because of your smarts, and they don't see that you're also kind and you like cooking and you're good at it and and you're really good with your kids and you're you know fit whatever like whatever other elements you hold on to dearly that becomes a problem mm-hmm. and so what i what i love about that is you already had all these other things right you were already a good listener and a good interviewer like those were already a part of the thing but it wasn't what was being celebrated it wasn't what was being acknowledged as the reason why you had those by the way you're body probably would have reacted better if there was a way to integrate those things because that would have reduced the stress that you were under, et cetera. And so back to what we were talking about earlier and the whole point is like, we all have to stop listening to what we believe other people want us to be because the worst, it's you think it's bad to not be what other people want you to be. 
but it's worse to become that and realize that it's not you. That's the worst yeah. thing ever. It is the worst. <laughs> to work your ass off and get there and you're at the top and then to realize, fuck, I messed up. The last 15 years of my life, I've been chasing the wrong fucking goal and now I'm there. And so now I've got to disappoint everybody else in my life who thinks I'm this person, not that person. That's the shit. And I've, I mean, I've met, I've worked with people who are like world renowned, world famous. Everybody knows their name. They're, they're at the peak of what people consider in their field. The richest, the most famous, the best musicians, whatever. It doesn't feel different. It just doesn't. You can want to kill yourself when 250,000 people are chanting your name every night. If you don't connect to what you care about, the money, the cars, the girls, the houses, none of it fucking matters. Well, and for me, I like that you said it's about like letting everyone down. But for me, it was even harder because I left my job and I thought people were really going to care and it was going to be a whole thing. People cared for five minutes and then I was just like, <laughs> the new hot girl came in and it was, it was over. And I was like, well, fuck, that sucks. <laughs> but then I realized it was about me letting myself down sure. and disappointing myself. And I had this idea of who I was supposed to be back to the perfectionist and this idea of this woman who just, you know, was the best reporter on television and had all the fame and glory. And then all of a sudden that wasn't there. And it was like this old version of me and this new version of me. And this old version was like, what are you doing? Who are you becoming? How could you let this go? But the mm. new version was like, I'm fucking free finally. And this is what I want. And I can actually breathe for the first time and, and speak the way I want to and not be pushed in the corner and told to just fucking nod and just smile. Yeah. And it was so different. But I, I still experienced that, this back and forth tug of sure. war. And I think that's what a lot of people experience too. It's like the external letdown, but also the internal, which is so painful. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Remember, like what I said was you worry so much about disappointing all the people. Right. Because I think you're right. Like for a lot of people, it's their parents. And like, I don't want... Mm -hmm. Your parents just want you to fucking be happy. I yeah. can tell you that as somebody who went to jail and disappointed <laughs> their parents in the worst possible way by your parents discovering you're a fucking drug dealer on the other side of the country. And then on the flip side of that, they just wanted me to be okay and happy. And then I, now I can tell you it as a parent. Mm -hmm. I have three kids. Now again... I get it. I'm not very old school. So I'm, I'm pretty open-minded and I couldn't care less what my kids become. Yeah. Like poets, artists, physicians, architects, gay, straight, couldn't care less. <laughs> I want them to just have a good life. I want them to be happy. I want them to not go through some of the misery that they probably will because I went through it when I was a teenager and they were as well. I think it's important yeah. to go through some of the bullshit. So like, I just want to save them yeah, from it. Yeah, yeah. That's the, I think that, which, is, which is probably the, the parental instinct that I think needs to be curbed the most. It's like, <laughs> I, I need to save them from having a hard time. It's like, ah, there's an appropriate amount of like semi-trauma that you need to go through. <laughs> that's why I'm with Connor is because I know that I'm going to swoop like a crazy mother. I'm going to be like, save, 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 save. And he's going to be like, nope, let them go through it. Yeah. And that's awesome. why I need you, babe. <laughs> no, it's, a good, it's a good balance. My wife is, my wife is the same way. Yep. And I'm like, you know, they got to learn. Yeah. They got to learn. It's one of those things. It's just, I it's, deal it's, with it's, the kids who don't learn. I feel like one of the, the best people I know, like, and this is, to me, I've, I've, I've thought about this a lot because there's, I am essentially just the quintessential picture of white privilege. So from the outside looking in, sure. I get that a lot. And I'm like, what is privilege really? Because it has, I mean, there's something to do with the color of your skin. Got it. But at the same time, when I was a fucking 200 pound fifth grader getting picked on mm -hmm. and bullied because I 
was fat. Like I didn't feel very privileged because sure. I was white then, you know? Well, and like, like you said before, you grew up in an area where you were all white. Yeah. So within that group, you were less discriminated against for color because there was no color. Yeah. It was very, it was like, there was a few, you know, there was Mexicans and black, a couple, a couple of black people. There was just not that much diversity at all. So in, it was just like, let's find town. other ways to fucking dislike each other because of the way we look at, look yeah. at all. And so to me, I've realized like, all right, here's what, here's what privilege is in my opinion. And looking at this and my dad's in prison and, and we've been through some of that on our last episode. And there's some different things that I've noticed. And uh, I was like, you know what really, to me, it's privilege is the ability to fuck up royally mm. and be able to recover. Because you need that. Like you need having to follow in your face to having recover. Their, having this, whatever, that, and whatever that means. It's like maybe people will just believe. Like if you're attractive, people, whatever reason, trust you more. So 100%. you have a little bit of privilege where it's like, I can fuck up, but people think I'm going to be okay. And that's nice. But it's like, and that's where I think this, like this, the racism within the prison system is so fucked. And this is why I'm like a Bernie Sanders guy. Because it's, you look at this and you say like, well, if you look at, if you get arrested for marijuana when you're 12, for whatever reason, or, or you even selling drugs when you're young and you're in the system at 13, like, if I would have been in, if I would have been punished for the shit that I did when I was thirteen in the same way that most of uh, I would say impoverished America is, you don't have a fucking chance. I mean, bro, I would have been in prison for fifteen years. Yeah, if I wasn't a white upper middle class kid. Well, I mean, Tate Fletcher. And I still barely got out. But... Do you know who Tate Fletcher is? No, he owns K Man Coffee. He's got a big beard. He's an actor. He's fucking hilarious. But he's at a crazy store, a crazy past. We were talking at a, an event one time. I mean, it was the first time we'd ever met. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was talking about going to prison for, for uh, robbing a bank. And I was talking about my dad going to prison for meth. And he was like, I was like, how long were you in? He said, a couple of years. He goes, if I was black, I'd still be in there. And he fully believed that. And I was oh, like, no, no. I know 100. I mean, it, my parents helped me get a lawyer because when the cops arrested me, all the money and all the drugs went away. And I went to rehab and I spent a year getting sober so that when I got in front of the judge in the end, it would be the best case scenario. Those opportunities only existed for me because I was a white privileged guy. Yeah. Like my parents, I'm not saying that there are no families that no black families that have money. What I'm saying is for the typical guy who would get caught drug dealing, if my family was not able to step up in the way that they did, zero chance that I would get what I got. If my family wasn't able to pay for rehab, zero chance. When I uh, got kicked out of the first rehab, finding another one, like, Every single step along the way, and not the least of it, which literally when I stood in front of the judge, looking the way that I looked, which was like him, yeah, helped my sentence at every step along the way. And I recognize it. It's part of the reason why I do the work that I do now. And part of my goal in helping people with addiction is to greatly reduce the cost of getting the help. Because when I ran a rehab, I think we did great work. It was like a minimum of $5,000 a month. Yeah, And we didn't even give you housing. It was like outpatient, five grand a month. And it was really expensive to provide it. So we had to charge a good amount of money to be able to sustain the company. But most people can't afford that. Yeah, no, of course not. Five years of running, we had two black clients. Wow. And that told me, I'm like, fuck, this this isn't right. This is messed up. And there were also no poor white people there either. But there are black people with money. It was something about the way we had set it up just didn't speak to the to everybody who needed to suffer and struggle. So for me, it was when I stepped away from that, that conversation that we're having right now is, again, right, we're talking about kind of how do you expand your view of what reality is and what truth is and, and how do you realign? Yeah. And I grew up, I took myself into a world of 
darkness and drug dealing and, and crime and all that. I didn't come from it. And maybe because that was like, remember I said experiences that can take you into uh, discovering a new way of looking at reality. Having been a drug addicted myself, be a drug dealer with hundreds and hundreds of clients over the years that I did it, allowed me to remove a lot of judgment from, well, how could they do that to themselves? That's their fault. Well, you know, you know, if you end up a drug addict, that's, you got there somehow, like all this kind of judgment that people have around individuals who struggle with addiction. I went so deep into that world, like a trip. It's, it was like, mm-hmm. I mean, I also tripped a lot while I was doing that, but, um, <laughs> but it was like Requiem for a Dream type of thing where it just becomes like a blurry, it's like just scenes happening fast over and over again. I was not sober for about six years straight. Wow. wow. At all. I mean, because when I got, when my dealing became big, you guys are sitting on that couch right now. I would get like, when I, when I sold mushrooms, we get like six brown hefty bags of mushrooms. Wow. That's how mushrooms would get delivered to me. And then you have to figure out where to store like that couch worth of mushrooms. And when we got acid, it would be like 50 vials of acid. And when I got GHB, it would be like 24 gallons of concentrated GHB. Like the business was going great. And we, yeah. I lived in this world of kind of that successful excess. It's just that my success was around drugs. And so... I got to see just how bad it can get for as many people as possible. Because I hate saying it, but almost anybody who got near me during that time fucked their life up royally. Because I was the guy that had six hefty bags of mushrooms, but you had to give me whatever, $20 for an eighth to get some of them. Mm-hmm. And I sold to so many people and we sold so many different drugs that I just saw people's lives just kind of go down and down and down. I think it's important to see that to see, like in some point in your life to see like it was it was my mom for me growing up mm-hmm. was like seeing someone try so hard and just continue to unravel until they have to like sort it the fuck out and and then and then to and then to be impressed with the resilience of a human being to bring it back together yeah that's something i think that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to really see the full the character arc the character development of of the shitstorm that we could put ourselves in 100% so if you and you get that i mean that's probably why you're so great at what you why you do what you do because you saw that with hundreds of people like this degradation I, it's and it, I saw, i've seen so many people fucking lose themselves and yeah. in, in, even psychedelics man like this shit's not a game you know mm-hmm. you can it, to be honest like the one thing that scares me more than anything is eating too much marijuana but <laughs> that shit will like put you in a fucking rabbit hole for sure. But at the same time, like I've seen people lose themselves to power, money, psychedelics, illicit drugs, yeah, whatever it is. What ch- chasing something that you from the outside go, you're never going to fucking get whatever it is that you think you want. And, it's, and as as we found out, if you go and get it, odds are you're going to find out. God damn it, this was not the right thing to chase. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is really, I mean, I think that's really scary for a lot of people. So we don't look at it and. I give this talk, I give a happiness talk um, sometimes on college campuses and I started off with a Super Bowl ad. Um, I don't remember what year it's from now, but it's like, it's old. It's like 2013 or 2012 or something. And it's a Cadillac ad. I don't know if you remember this ad. It was a Super Bowl, ran for about a couple of months before and after. And um, it's this guy, uber successful, decked out in his suit. I think he's starting off in like his khakis and his polo and he walks in the bedroom and changes into his impeccable suit and like high fives his wife while she gives him the paper and the and you know the Wall Street Journal or whatever, like smiles at his kids, gets into the uh the Cadillac car that they're selling and as the thing zooms in, what he's talking about the whole time is about how in other parts of the world people take time off and they 
They take the summer off or they rest in the middle of the day. But Americans do none of that shit because Americans are hardcore and we succeed. And that's what we get. We get the house and the car and the beautiful wife. And that thing came on on the Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, that was full on like selling you the American dream in 30 seconds. Yeah. And I give the talk and it's like the number of people who get to that place and then realize that they want to kill themselves or their partner or they just want to divorce and like run away with some new version of what they thought their wife was going to be because now that will feed their dream is almost endless. But we get sold this dream. We get sold this notion of this is how you're going to get happiness. And so the reason I think these conversations are so important for people to hear is it's almost like to hear from a multitude of people who've reached places that you think yourself, if you reach them, you will be happy. Yeah. And to realize that's not what provided the happiness for them. It's the power of disillusionment. Yeah. I think disillusion is a really important thing. It's like to, to, to be comfortable in the fact that you can be completely fucking wrong about something that you spend a decade chasing. Yeah. Well, and to, okay. to know too, like we talk about this all the time. We talk about getting married and having kids and having a house and dogs and that whole thing. You, you talk. I listen to you talk about it. No. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain your side in a second. Relax. He's like, I hate when you talk for me. That's not what I believe. Blah, blah, blah. I was getting like, there. Okay, sounds Connor. Like him too. So we talk about these things. And from day one, he's been very clear about, I don't want the like standard American dream of the white picket fence house and the quote unquote standard relationship and all of this stuff. Like I want to explore. I want to be curious. I want to try different things. I, I, I don't want to do what everyone else supposedly does. And that was really hard for me in the beginning because I was raised very standard. Sure. And... As most of us were. Exactly. And so I have been... And it, he's been exploring this much longer than me, but in the last six months, really looking at what does it mean to let go of what I thought I wanted so that I can actually explore what I do want and what really does bring me fulfillment. Because I want to be open and curious and adventurous and not raise my kids necessarily the way I was raised and all those different things. But it, he has taught me that it's okay to question that and to not chase this false sense of mm. happiness that I was fed was true. So, you know, okay. First, I have a, I love that, that you guys were able to have that conversation. We just saw the public falling apart of a couple trying to do that for everybody else. And my wife and I come from, I guess, different family backgrounds in the sense that her parents got divorced. Mine didn't. My dad cheated on my mom apparently all the time. I didn't know that while he was alive. I knew about one and it pissed me off enough that apparently nobody told me about the others. <laughs> um, but my wife and I had to come. Sophie, and I'm going to stop calling her my wife. She has a name. Sophie, uh, I don't like own her. Sophie and I came from very different places. And we also, I mean, now we've known each other for 15 years. And, you know, like, that's a long ass fucking time to know somebody. <laughs> like, there's not a lot of other people in my life that I know for that long. And I still can hang out with for 24 hours in a row. Um, and which is, a bigger metric for whether you should marry somebody, by the way, than you probably think because yeah. you're going to spend a lot of time with this fucking person. But we started very traditional. And what I mean by very traditional was we kind of thought we knew all the steps. And then the steps just didn't really work well for us. And there was early cheating. I cheated on her very early in our relationship before marriage. And, uh, and then continued missteps along that route. And so that took us down one kind of complete detour of our relationship that wasn't easy, but you know, made both of, us, both of us, I think, better people. We talk about this publicly enough, so, so she won't mind, I think, me saying it. Then she cheated on me. 
which was man, talk about a completely different experience. The story on y'all's podcast, we we all we all share yeah. we all share that is it's one intense. of the most challenging things I've ever listened to in my life. I was like my I was like crawling out of your skin. Talking about anxiety, by the way, I was yeah. like, holy shit! But here's why: most men have heard the story of men cheating on women, so you're used to it. Yeah. Plus. Let's be honest about it because I grew up in porn culture like, whoa. And by the way, most fucking boys right now are growing up in the middle of a worse crazy storm than I did because <laughs> I at least had to find the fucking tapes in the, in, the, yeah. in the magazines. They don't have to find shit. Yeah. It finds them. Yeah. Constantly. So A, we're more used to it. But then there's the other piece. And that's the masculinity piece that we talked about before, which is men are allowed to conquer. But a woman not being faithful to her man emasculates the guy, right? That's the idea. Like, not, now I'm less of a man. Even though I did that to her multiple times. Yeah. That didn't fucking disturb who I am as a human being. Mm. Her doing it to me once, all of a sudden supposed, is supposed to destroy my self-concept. And it did for a little bit. But mm. for a few weeks, I was like, what the fuck? How do I continue with this? What is that? But here's what I learned about relationships. And it's why I love the conversation you guys were just having. Because here's the, the reality. Your relationship will look the way your relationship looks doesn't have to fit anybody else's life. And from both sides, what ends up happening that is magical to watch with couples as they agree to this together and then walk the really treacherous road of actually <laughs> making it a reality is um, it's a constant process of discovery. Because you're going to land in a place that feels pretty comfortable and then somebody will get edgy. And then you have to go, fuck, am I going to rock the boat? Like we're doing pretty okay. I mean, we're not having as much sex as we used to, but like we're cool. We travel, we have fun, we have friends. But I really, I want to fucking talk about this thing. God damn it. All right. <laughs> and then you get so anxious. At some point, you, you go and you bring it up. And you bring it up and it creates friction because somebody's rocking them. Like that is a process of reinvention of the coupleship. And so Sophie and I, if you've listened to some of the stories, like we talked, I think when we talked to, um, I forget which podcast episode we did it on, but like, is when we came out that we're like monogamish is the term for it. Yeah. And we're not deaf, we're far from an open relationship. Yeah. Like our agreement always has been both people are in the room and into what's happening in the moment for anything to happen. Yeah. Because my relationship is with her. Yeah. Not with anybody else out there in the world. And um, and that's not everybody's choice. And I'm not demonizing people who make another choice, but I'm just saying that was our level of comfort. Mm -hmm. But even coming out with that created waves. For you too? For us, just because um, more for her because people care more about what she does than what I do. <laughs> That's exactly how it goes for us. Too. In the world in general. So it created more race for her. But, you know, it was like we, re we got to this place where we realized, A, for our lives, then the exposure of it. But even for our lives, like the only thing that matters is that we're happy and that we understand and know where we're going. And if we feel connected, then what the actual behavior is matters a lot less. What we're always afraid of or what we're on the lookout for are things that are creating a bigger distance, are creating a mm. bigger wedge between us. And it's part of the reason why we, a long time ago, decided that like open relationships or even um, even not open, not, not polyamory, but just like being open in, in a more general sense was not a good fit for us is because we feel like that would just, it would create space between us where we don't want it. Yeah, I think... It Open relationships are something I've been around a lot. And especially when in my last few years in Austin. And it's something I was very curious about. I had this belief that I was poly. Like I was poly. Like that's how I should live my life. When I was with, um, I would say like two serious girlfriends ago. And up until Kelly, the best girlfriend I've ever had. As far as like just being 
stable, emotionally healthy, like that whole thing. But I was in this place where I was totally off, off like my own purpose and path and my gym had just closed and all that stuff. And I was getting into like Chris Ryan's work and stuff, which is great. And I think it's, it's super important. And it's, it's also fun to get... What I was seeking in that was like, I need to know that the feelings and urges and desires that I'm having don't make me a bad person. Yeah. So I had so much Christian like shame and guilt about like, oh, fuck. Like if I want to like fuck someone who's not my girlfriend, then that's, you know, God oh, sees that. Even that was like, that's not even was a, my belief system. But subconsciously <laughs> I was like, Someone's knowing this. I know this. Fuck, I'm broken. Like, I'm terrible. I'm yeah, a yeah. bad human being. I just wanted to feel like I wasn't fucked up. Sure. Um, which is what I got through all that. And then, you know, you slide down the rabbit hole. And then from there, it's, it's how far can we go with this? And then, and then being around it. But I noticed that in open relationships, a lot of times it was so... If there was any kind of... I call it like leverage. If, some, if one person in the relationship power. had more lever, leverage yeah. and power than the other person, even if the other person doesn't realize it from the outside, you can see that there's like manipulation. And sometimes it's the person with less power manipulating themselves to believe what the other person is saying sure. or, or choosing their blind spots. And to think that we don't do that as human beings is incredibly fucking naive. Of course. We always do that. We'll look past shit because it's like at the end of the day, it's about your safety and survival because that person's paying your fucking bills. That's a, that's not a healthy place, in my opinion, to come at an open relationship from. I mean, bro, why'd you go to school? You didn't go to school because you fucking wanted to go to school. You no. went to school because the people with the money and the food in the house told you that if you don't go to school, then they're going to punish you. Exactly. We, we get manipulated all the time, 100%. And that's something in a, in a serious relationship, in, a, in an intimate relationship with another human. I feel like it's part of my job to watch out for Sophie's interests, even if she doesn't realize that I could be fucking up her interest by doing something. Does that yeah, make sense? Exactly. Um, and that's to me exactly where if I start, and by the way, this is also true in a monogamous relationship because we've realized, we just talked about this last night. We've realized that the moment you let another person into your life, their energy, their desires, their intent, it's now part of your relationship whether you wanted it to or not. People, exactly. talk, people talk about like, well, you know, we'll just bring somebody in, we'll just play around. Well, guess what? That's another human being. There's one exception to that. And this is some great advice that uh, my friend Ali Waddell gave on the podcast years ago. And she was like, if you want to do that and you're like, if you've been in, especially people that have been married for a while and you really want to explore that and you want there to be no strings attached, there's one way to do it. Hire. It's a prostitute. Right. I that's get it. it. And that's, the, and they really, outside of that, that isn't even that isn't a conversation. And you know that you, you, as, even as you're bringing this up, how do we get to this from fucking from like I don't know. I was not I, expecting I like this, this today. This is good <laughs> from, from hallucinogens. How do we get? I keep getting into these conversations. <laughs> We're just sex, drugs, and white privilege, dude. But That's here's the thing. Lord. Here's the thing. That's true, but you understand that that alone precludes a huge portion of society from exploring that route. Yeah, I've never, by the way, through all the drug dealing, all everything I've done, I've never been with a prostitute. Never Same. even, never even thought of calling one like it's just not been in my wheelhouse well then that also take that also boils down and, and is so reductionist when it comes to the actual connection because is it just the sex thing or is it the seduction all the foreplay all the other stuff that goes into like getting versus someone paying in, for it versus paying for but it but then yeah. here's the other thing as a drug dealer I literally was just having I'm <laughs> definitely not going to talk about her like personal life but I was just on the phone with somebody uh, doing a personal session she used to be a stripper and strippers were my best friends when I was selling drugs I hung out with other dealers and strippers. That was it. Those were all my friends. And the reason was they're kind of parallel jobs in the male and female world. Um, drug dealers are kings of their own ridiculously shitty kingdom. Within your world, you're the ruler. The people who sell for you, love you. The people under you, admire you and want you around all the time. Especially because when you get to hang out with them, they yeah. use more drugs for free. 
all that. So that exists. But as soon as you walk out the door, you tell anybody else what you do and they look at you like you're a fucking leper, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Strippers are the exact same reality. Mm. In the strip club during the night, they're queens. Guys save money to go to the strip club to be able to get dances all night from their favorite girl. Like They're queens. Try telling people outside of a strip club that you're a stripper. Well, if it's one of, if one of your regulars sees you at the fucking Whole Foods, they'll ignore their like, shit. Oh out yeah, um, not even not even pay attention. Exactly. 100%. So you live in this really weird dichotomy in life. Yeah. And so even when you bring up that idea, and maybe this is why I never thought of calling one, is I still see the person that's a fucking prostitute. Mm-hmm. Like I still see the person behind that. Yeah. And. It is another person you're bringing in. She's probably got kids at home and she's probably trying to support herself. And that's why it's never felt okay for me. Is like, I am, I am fully employing the power dynamic. Again, remember I said before, I'm not, yeah. one of, I'm not one of those alpha guys. I never have been. It's never been my thing. Like, I, didn't, I love winning in competitions. That's not the issue. But like, I'm not going to pound you in the head from behind to get the goal because I can. Yeah. That's never been my thing. So even in those scenarios, I look at it like, Fuck, I can't do it. Yeah, I would that's not that's not the move that I would go I wrote down I would go down either, but it was it was as an idea for was, somebody who'd been around that for It was a long like time. an objective way to do it. Yeah. So yeah. in any other format, which is how I think a lot of this is how a lot of guys at least imagine it. Actually, I guess having talked to Sophie about it before, like for Sophie, the emotional connection is the thing. Yeah. The finding somebody that she's into, that's the whole point anyway. And so once you do that, you've now got another person in your relationship. And if they are really kind and really nice and they don't want anything bad to happen to your relationship, then you're lucky and hopefully nothing bad happens. And that's a, but now I, it's what I tell guys when they, uh, when they consider cheating or anybody when they consider cheating. I say, just so you know, when you bring somebody else into your relationship, you now brought somebody else into your relationship. You've lost control over that part of your relationship. And the same thing happens with these, with these kind of ideas of playing around. So look, it's okay. We live in this um, false sense of safety all the time. Nothing is safe, period walk outside right now and get hit by a car and this would all end. So I don't think we need to live in a life that is just based on security and the fear of what if something happened. But in a couple of shit where Sophie and I have found that this is truly important and I see you guys doing it already anyway, is just the transparency. Mm-hmm. Is just making sure you have the tools to talk about the shit because it's going to get fucked up. Yeah, It's not how do we make sure this doesn't get fucked up. It's going to get messed up. So how do you have the communication in place and the tools, whether those are hallucinogenic experiences or therapeutic tools, whatever those are for you, yeah. to go into that moment and explore what sucked about it <laughs> so you can pull out the good and, and be intimate. That's what intimacy is, right? Intimacy is about the connection, not about the safety. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I think one thing that you're seeing so many people question the institution of marriage and, and traditional family values because we're, look, we're, we're growing up around people. We have enough we have enough context outside because of, of the internet, right? I mean, we grew up with that. Yeah. And so we can see all the different possibilities. And then we look at our own families who are supposed to be the, kind of our template for what is healthy or normal and their relationship. And you're like, uh, is that what I want? And they, my parents like their relationship. Mm. My mom and my stepdad, I wouldn't be in that relationship for a million dollars. Like, There's nothing you could do to convince me to be in their relationship. Like, yeah. It's not what I want. So it's like, well, can I be inquisitive about my own values and what I want to create for myself. Sure. And can I also accept that one thing I see in relationships that have lasted a long time and in the clients that are, that are older and that have been divorced once or twice or three times 
is the the denial that the relationship is going to evolve and change. Yeah. You know, that's something that's really crucial that I think gets overlooked a ton. Which You're like, not who I was ex- when I met you. Exactly. Well, that was 20 fucking years ago, yeah, motherfucker. I hope not. So let's, let's, let's start there. Let's start with like, this thing's going to change from what it is right now. Yeah. It's also awesome right now. So let's just, whatever the context for what awesome is, is going to change in the next 15 to 20 years. Yeah, and I think, I don't know. I feel like there's, not everybody would probably feel like this because it really depends. I, you said it really well. Um, there are people who come from households that, where they do want to emulate their parents. Yeah, and then all the more power to you. Yeah, that's great. Lucky you, dude. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Amen. Please, uh, <laughs> at Doctor Adijaf on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> please write me a template of what that looks like because yeah. I'd love to follow it myself. But walking in, right, kind of eyes wide open and knowing what the process is to me is so much more important than trying to pre-imagine what the end goal is and what the oh, result. Yeah. I would never do something is a really weird blanket statement to make with anybody when you're starting a relationship. Yeah. Um, and that's, that goes, by the way, both ways, right? Because sometimes this thing that you wanted, just like we talked about with the career, this thing you wanted your whole life, like, if only I could have a threesome with my wife. You have one and it blows up in your fucking face and you go, I don't want a threesome. The thing is, you don't want to... Forcing a threesome to happen is probably the worst move you can ever, <laughs> ever make. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> Forcing almost anything in your relationship <laughs> yeah. to happen sucks. All of it. But like specifically that. <laughs> like forcing forcing a vacation yeah. will fuck you up. Because mm-hmm. if you really have a lot of work stuff you want to do, but you guys haven't taken a break in a while, and, and Kelly, you just kind of say to him, hey, come on, let's go, let's go. And he doesn't really want to, but you make it happen. Oh, yeah. That's been like the demise of us after every trip we've taken yeah, this Yeah, Kelly's year. like, let's travel all over the place. And I'm like, I, I, I host a medium-sized podcast. Like, I've got to like, kind of work on this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but that's, that's the game. The dance is more like, maybe the reason it's so complicated is you're not doing the waltz. You're not doing something, a tango. You're not doing something somebody's done before. Yeah. You're doing your dance. When you get and you get off of a path, right? I like to think about this in the jungle, right? It's like, okay, so if you're just walking down the jungle path, a trail that everybody walks down, you're like, all right, cool. This is there's a thing here. It's like not super exciting, but it's normal. <laughs> right. And then once you like strap up with a fucking machete and you decide to go off off the path, like yep. you might get eaten by a tiger. There's crazy ass snakes out there. Yep. You're, you're, gonna, you're definitely getting poison ivy at least. <laughs> you know? So it's like one of those things, just accept like that's a part of my reality now as I'm hacking through this jungle of life. Is that there's dangers out there that most people won't have to experience, but that's something that keeps me more active and present in this this experience. And yeah. fuck it, why not? It's, it's a good analogy, and I think it it gets bolstered by the fact that, unfortunately, as we stand right now around relationship, something like fifty percent of people who walk down the path die anyway. <laughs> so it's kind of like a fucking coin toss. There's a lot of cougars out there. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dum dum. Hey, all right. Do you have sound effects on this? Oh, um, Connor. So, I love that. Um, so, it's not even... It's not really safe. It's the false sense of reality yeah. and safety again that, that we started out talking about. So, I am all in on exploration. I'm all in on figuring out for every couple that I work with and for, for my coupleship. It doesn't end... Just because I do it with other people doesn't mean that in my coupleship it's super easy. Because we reach our edges and it's like, okay, well, we're going to have to talk about what this edge means and do we want to back up off of it? Do we want me to push through it and see what's yeah. on the other side? It's never as clear. Uh, and it's also always what my experience over the last 15 years with Sophie is on the flip side of each one of those really, really uncomfortable, weird, 
three o'clock in the morning, half crying conversations <laughs> is a much better part of my relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every time. So I've learned now to not run away from like, because my, my impulse is to back the fuck out, go for a run, call a friend, go play a video game, whatever the fuck I got to mm-hmm. do to not have that conversation. That's what my brain tells me I want to do. I've learned to just go, all right, yeah, right, I'm going to sit, I'm going to keep and like regurgitate what it is that's coming out until <laughs> something that feels like a modicum of, uh, of an agreement comes out. And the way I know it is, we talked about anxiety before, the way I know it is, mm-hmm. my yeah. body just kind of calms a little and I go, okay, I'm not like mad at you and I don't want to end this relationship anymore. Cool. <laughs> this is nice. I like I it. Mean, I'm, just, I'm just trying to get Kelly to get off Tinder. That's oh, my... shut up. <laughs> so I have a question and we've never talked about this um, on the show before, but something I'm noticing, especially, um, you know, Emily Morse, Sex with Emily. I mean, I know of her, of her right? Met, yeah. So we, we did an interview with her. Oh, her cool. show came out this week um, and we've had incredible feedback, which mm-hmm. has been so fun because we were both very vulnerable in that conversation about our desires and things that we like and, and just really going into it. Mm. But something that has been coming up, and the reason I want to ask you is because I did not know that you were going to talk about Sophie and yours relationship in this way of exploration. Um, and I didn't know that was a thing. So the beauty of the realness. Everyone. Yeah, yeah, I love this. But um, <laughs> I'm curious from your perspective, why... And I'm I'm assuming this, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, Please. but that Sophie has an interest in women and having that a part of things. Yeah, I don't think she knew that when we met. Right. So I am I'm having so many conversations like this right now specifically with other women with other women specifically that are around my age and mm-hmm. I don't think Sophie and I are that far apart but where this is I guess the question is why you feel right now women feel open or free to explore that when and maybe this is just me being naive and not knowing mm-hmm. and and now it's just all around me but why that is so prevalent at this point <sighs> That's a really good question. I um, I gotta say, like when I was in high school, girls kissing and kind of fooling around with each other was a thing. You used to, you used to try to get, talk them into doing it. Did you ever do that? No, I was not that cool, man. Oh, did man, you I do was, that? We we would like we'd be like, oh, like you two kiss each other. We'd be like drinking oh wine God. coolers. We we're like, I was not that fourteen. Cool. I was um, no, no, I was when I say I was socially anxious and like <laughs> felt weird around women. I'm not lying. It's not a yeah. like. This is such an... I'm not going to tell... I'll tell this story after we record so because it has nothing to do with the podcast. Um, <laughs> too many tangents. Um, but that was a thing back then. And I didn't really understand it. I didn't really know why. I didn't mind it. It was like, you know, because men are... We learned to associate women with the more attractive sex anyway. So it was... Or from or straight men. So it was like... It was a good thing, but it happened. And then it kind of disappeared for a little while. Like... um during the self-exploration phase of college, there would be more like I would have friends who were bisexual or or gay. And so they would specifically identify with like women or not. But that's different than what I think you're talking about right now, which I'm seeing more for sure. And it's just this openness, right? Just more a general sense of openness. I have a feeling, like I know for Sophie, her sexual experiences growing up were not great. And Sophie was very um, prude, I guess would be the, the, the term that we'd all use. Like she including me and the guy she slept with while we were together it was four men that she's been with in her entire life. So oh, wow. very limited sexual repertoire. And the first one was not that great. And I mean by not, not, not that great sex, like it was a slightly abusive relationship. It was not a good relationship, mm-hmm. which caused a lot of trauma. It's not when that's been your first intimate relationship, you don't, you're not exactly looking to jump into the sack with somebody else. And I think, first of all, women feel safer for women. 
all this toxic masculinity stuff we were talking about before, men are pretty closed off. It's harder for us to talk about our feelings. We can get aggressive. I don't get that aggressive, but men can get aggressive and that's scary. And I think for women, there's a safety in other women. Um, and I think that provides something outside of, because for a lot of these women that are exploring that I know in my world, for instance, and I don't know what conversations you're having, but um, it's not that they're identifying as gay. They find this part of them that is attracted to women mm-hmm. and they don't really know what to even do about it. I guess yeah. in the LGBTQ, that would be the Q part, right? Like the questioning. And it goes back, in my opinion, to the same stuff we talked about with the masculinity, which is what we really want is connection and love and intimacy. We want to feel like we matter and like, like somebody cares about us. And in the world we live in now, it's a little sad to say, but it, I think part of the thing is I don't think that's that true for women with men. I think there's a lot more risk. I don't know what I'm walking into opening that up mm-hmm. with, um, with men. And for men, there's a huge taboo. Men saying women are too emotional. I'm going to get with a guy because it's easier. It, there's the taboos around that are fucking massive. Like even, you yeah. Know, oh for, yeah, yeah. You for, suck one dick, you're gay. That's what they used, that's to, that's I mean, that's what they used to say that when we were growing up. You touch one dick. I mean, forget yeah. suck. Like yeah. that's a whole different level. Like you think about touching another dick, you're gay. Like so, for men, it's so huge. Women, I don't think that exists. Like totally. women's bodies are beautiful. Everybody's accepted them as beautiful. And so there's so much more freedom around it. I know for Sophie, she had no awareness of it when we first kind of met. And she had to, I'm not going to say wrestle with it, but it was like an internal process that she had to go to. And where I see Sophie get to, and I feel like I need to call her to not put words in her mouth, but um, she cared more about the connection. Like there are more women that Sophie thinks are hot than women she would want to get with. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily that true for men, right? Like right. for men, it's like if you're attractive, I will I, would, fuck you. I will yeah. get with you. Yeah. Uh, even yeah, bar- barring you barring like some really you know what I was like barring some like character deficiencies, nope, but then nope, nope, like nope, then nope. even if they really suck, then you just like it's just a different type of attraction that yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a different type of fucking that would take place, yeah. but it still would be would go down. I mean, that's when you go like, well, she's a crazy fuck. Like, yeah. She's one of those. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm never bringing her to dinner or like going out with her in public, but like there's it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like I resent the fuck out of your existence. So I just want to like fuck that into you. Oh but here, God. wow. That, was, that, that went pretty far. Um, here's the thing. I swear. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> what transparency, Kelly? This is what our relationship is built on. That was you, if, you never, if you never resent fuck someone, you have not lived. Okay. Oh, oh I have. Um, <laughs> here's the funny thing about it. I I swear this stuff gets drilled into us. Like I talked about this in one of our episodes, but the fucking porn plots that I got exposed to when I was like 11 are just insane. Yeah. They're. I mean, I understand they're male fantasies, but like. An 11-year-old having that fantasy projects a reality of the world that just doesn't exist. You know, like businessman coming home, threesome with his wife and his partner, calls the maid, they have a foursome, bringing like, who lives in a fucking world? Like, nobody lives in that world. Now, nobody lives in Superman world either, but they told me that was fantasy. This other thing became like the thing that I was trying to aspire to. And so for women, I think there's just this, this softness, this safety that they don't, they don't have to worry. Mm-hmm. What Sophie found out is the emotional connection is kind of the same thing though. Like, because if what you're looking for is connection and you let somebody in, you get connected to them and then it's not the same because society doesn't look at it the same. So 
they don't expect you to get married or they, all that. All the other expectations that come about are not the same. But you, oxytocin release, right? Like you get physically, biologically, chemically, emotionally connected to another human being. Not that easy to separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think it hits in pockets. So like once you become aware of it in your world, all of a sudden you realize that 12 of your friends have also been with women you just never realize it because they never talked about it because it's the same with heroin. Like, I say the same thing with any kind of drug. Testosterone is the same thing. Once you start taking gear or any kind of like performance enhancing drugs, you're like, oh, wow, everybody's doing this. And yeah. I just didn't have, I had the veil on my eyes. I couldn't see it. It's but always happened to you, us. As soon as you open your eyes up to it, you're like, wow, this is just the way the world works. Well, and they feel safe telling you now. Yeah, exactly. Right. When you say to them, oh, I tried, I don't even know what that was, gear? Yeah, we, well, gear is what you call like testo- performance enhancing drugs. Got, got it. Did you bring some dogs? I mean, you're jacked out of your mind, aren't you? Oh, testosterone. Yeah. yeah, you look like a gearhead, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I'm on. I'm like the poster child for why testosterone doesn't work. <laughs> uh, 151 pounds. Um, but yeah, I think to me that's the thing. And by the way, I love it. What I love about it with in my partnership is because we have the conversations, even when it's gotten screwed up, by figuring out what about it didn't work. Sophie and I get closer. Mm-hmm. And in the end, that's the point. We used to have the same kind of notion of thinking like, we can just bring somebody in and they're like a sex toy. It just doesn't yeah. work. But that's I, that's even a conversation that's, that, that I've had before where it's like, oh yeah, well, I, that person, like there's really strict boundaries to that person. Like they, they can't, almost like you can't stay the night. You can't, you can't talk to them outside of the context of the threesome, whatever. And it's like, well, think about it like this. If someone hooked up with you like that, not in a threesome, just in life in general, how would that make you feel? 100%. You got to really be considerate of the other person's feelings too. And if you're not prepared to be con- at least considerate and respectful of that person's feelings in the environment, then you're not ready to make that happen, yeah. in my opinion. So for me, all this stuff, look, relationships hopefully are not boring. Hopefully, when you, if you're going to be with somebody for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of your life, it's just not going to always be the same period. So for me, like I said before, it's about understanding that setting ground rules and also knowing kind of what each other's communication pattern is like, love language, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. So that you can have the conversations where things go off the the rail. Like Sophie got me a birthday present one year. Let's just say did not work out the way she wanted it to work out. Even though she set it up. Well, I didn't, I didn't do anything. And yet in the end, we have to pick up the pieces after that. And so it's like, it was a tough couple of weeks and whatnot, but it was really good for our relationship. We, a month later, we knew each other better and we understood the ground rules of our relationship way, way better. And so I stopped being scared of what the next phase is, which I think for me was a big thing always. Is I'm not a jealous guy, but I also like the safety of a serious relationship. And so I stopped being scared. Your wife sleeping with another guy in a bathroom at a hotel while you're sleeping will, will cause you to either stop being scared or get the fuck out of the relationship. It's like, <laughs> it's like the only two things, you know, the least expected thing that you thought was going to happen, that happening to you goes, damn, all right. And by the way, because I know what happened in my cheating with her, I also had to recognize what's my role in it. Like, why is my wife banging some dude in a fucking hotel? Yeah. Um, how did I not show up to the relationship? And that's not a really easy thing to ask yourself when you get cheated on, but, but it also just happens to be true. So responsibility it is in a way like it be curiosity and and integrity and your in the way that you're seeking your own responsibility it's fucking huge yeah yeah so you know it's uh it's an evolving evolving process we're what is it this is we're about to celebrate 10 years of marriage so i love it i wouldn't have it any other way 
We covered some ground. That was wild. I don't know that I've ever done that with. Was someone. that three episodes? I think yeah, yeah three. Like, episodes. It helps when you have someone that has a show that speaks for a living. You know, you can just like go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. That was really fun. I love that. Thank that you really so fun. much. Well, you have, you've got an event coming up. Yes, tell we do. Us. We do. We have uh, the Ignited Glow event. We're kind of going with the fire theme. So it's our first annual event. It's going to happen here in LA. Uh, if you go to bit.ly forward slash ignited glow, all caps, mm-hmm. you'll get all the details on, on it. I don't know how many of these people you guys know, but the people who we've had on our podcast and some of our, the people we love most in the world um, are in this. Obviously, Sophie and I are, uh, are speaking at the event, but um, Durek, Shaman Durek, have mm-hmm. you ever heard? Do you mm-hmm. know him? Yeah. He's there. Alexander Roxo, dear friend of ours. Uh, Busy Gold. I love Busy. Oh, she's amazing. Um, Kate Van Horn is uh, is going to be there. So many amazing. I'm just looking through this ridiculous list. Dr. Deepika Chopra is there. Uh, uh, Koya Webb. Deepak Chopra is there? I wish. No. Deepika. Oh, Deepika. Deepika. Um, <laughs> Deepak, if you are listening though. You're welcome to come. <laughs> we will find a spot for you. We have a goodie bag for you. <laughs> yeah, we do. The next person who reviews the podcast, please put Deepak Chopra as your screen there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. So... Uh, it's going to be amazing. It's three days, October 18th to the 20th. And, um, you know, Ignited in general is about helping people find their purpose and finding the spark that lights them up to to get into the best version of who they are. And that's what this is going to be. It's not recovery. It's not relationships. It's not one or the other. It's it's kind of how do you show up? The Almost 30 girls are there and they're going to do a, a panel with us. And um, how do you show up to your life? Just like we talked about today, to become the best version of yourself so that you're ready for this. So you can feel inspired so you don't spend the rest of your life mired in anxiety and, and panic because you're not where you want to be. I'm really, really excited. I can't wait to be there for all the sessions that I'm not actually speaking in because <laughs> these people are amazing and I can't wait to listen to them. And that's in LA, right? Yeah, it's in LA. It'll be in the Culver City. We're still finalizing a location, but um, Culver City area. It's sweet. Yeah, awesome. they recommend it. And your show is called... Uh, ignited, ignited, so, IGNTD ignited. I think we might change it to my ignited life, but ignited is the uh, is the name for it. Yeah, well, we'll link all that stuff in the in the description. Awesome. And dude, this has been really fun. So yeah, as always, man, it's been great. Thank you. And we gave a shout out to Chris Ryan, which is always nice. <laughs> always. <nice. laughs>